What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Jen Alasco. People said, I want to do what you're doing. How how do you get paid for working for these amazing organizations and do these big events? And um, I always tell them, you've got to start networking. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Anna, thanks for making time. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I feel like I'm in good company and all your other guests. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I think we've got a lot of fun things to talk about. Um, I have, uh, you know, when I was inviting you to be on the show, the thing that really stands out to me, and I think for for others who know you, they'll, they'll recognize this, is um, you have an uncommon ability to help big, complex events actually get pulled off and be successful. Um, let's let's talk about um, to begin with the end of polio concert in in Perth, Australia. Um, you were the concert director out there. Can you tell everybody what the concert was to begin with and what yeah. your role was? Yeah, you bet. So yeah, the end of polio concert uh, that was held in 2011. It was a concert that really highlighted the eradication of polio. Um, it was held at the Belvoir Amphitheater in Perth, Australia. And it was hosted by the Global Poverty Project. Now, the thing I love about Global, or um, excuse me, Global Citizen. So, Global Citizen, they actually put a lot of um, thought into when they host their events. And so, anything like the Global Citizen Festival or the End of Polio concert, they hosted it um, the, on the morning before or the day before the Commonwealth leaders were meeting in Australia. And basically what it is, is they, they, they highlight an, a cause. In this case, it was polio. And basically excite their audience to get involved with uh, on the issue. They had 4,000 campaign supporters that basically drove polio eradication into the spotlight. And the next morning, um, after these leaders met, there were five government heads including um, five government heads and men, also Bill Gates. Basically, they affirmed their support of polio um, and pledged uh, $118 million, um, to the eradication. Yeah, pretty impressive. Um, and, and so your role as concert director, what does that mean? 
So basically what I did is I worked with, um, I worked with everybody from the production side, the producers, and also the technical crew. And I, I basically was the liaison between those. So um, my job was to take the messaging, take the, the whole idea of what they wanted to do at the concert and break that down and put it into the actual logistics of how it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. Um, the timing, anything from setting up the back line to making sure the, the messaging and the speakers had enough time in between um, the different uh, bands, uh, make sure John Len- Legend, who was one of their, um, uh, John Legend was their headliner. Headliner, thank you. <laughs> um, to make sure he had the right time and just to make sure everything moves smoothly from the beginning to the end, uh, also including sponsors in there, making sure the sponsors were um, mentioned as well, having a sponsor reel. So my job was to take all of these moving pieces and get them to flow coherently from beginning to end. Well, and uh, our mutual friend, Lindsay Hadley, another guest on the show here, um, you, the two of you have obviously worked many times in the past. Tell us about what that's like, uh, where where you and Lindsay would interface and 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 how you work together on a project that big. Yeah, so uh, Lindsay is a dear friend of mine, and it's I, I feel like she's been, she's kind of dragged me along to all these different projects, which I'm so grateful for because I feel like we've got a really good um, system in place when, when we are working on these concerts. Lindsay is... Uh, visionary. She has amazing ideas. She's she's able to take these grand ideas and say, hey, I am going to, you know, put on this concert. And then basically she hands it over to me and says, here, make it happen. You know, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's been really awesome working with her. And, um, and uh, we work together on lots of different things, you know, whether it be the polio concert or, um, other events like Child Rescue, Candlelight Serenade, or Backyard Broadcast, or I'm sorry, Beyond Right and Wrong. So, so I've worked with her um, in lots of different areas. Yeah. So l- let's talk about this. Um, Lindsay's got an uncanny ability to attract people and sponsors and, and you know, get these meetings with people that <laughs> maybe she shouldn't be able to get a meeting with, right? Right. Yeah. And then... Uh, tell me what sh- what you do like when you think about breaking down a program like that. What what's kind of the because I because I know everything's like logical and sequential of you. T- tell us about right. the order of events. Uh, let's start with like the broad categories. What are kind of those big six or seven broad categories that you break things down into right off the bat? Yeah, for sure. So my mind is very. I mean, I'm goal oriented and task driven, right? So I am obsessed with checking off tasks. And really, that's what this comes down to. Um, You know, really, the first thing is to understand what that that vision is, or the messaging or whatever it is. And that's not always clear. On some events and some programs I've worked with, you know, I've had to really sit down with whomever I'm working with and say, okay, we really need to define this, we need to clarify this more. Because if I don't have a great understanding, and it's not really, you know, something easy we can write down on paper, then I'm not going to be able to break it down and then work with a team and express, you know, that message to the team. So having that clear vision is so essential. Um, you know, the second thing I do once I understand the, the vision is I break that vision down to categories and tasks. And, you know, so for the, for the example of a concert, 
you know, you've got anything from working with sponsors, concert logistics, working with the bands, marketing the event, you know, getting ticket sales, et cetera. And oftentimes, you know, the, the logistics, concert logistics is where I, I usually work. Um, but if, if I can break everything down, then it makes it easy for kind of the next step is to, to have a team. It makes it easy for me to be able to explain to my team what it is that they need to do. You know, you're going to go work with the sponsors. You're going to work with me on the concert. Um, you're going to work on the marketing, you know, and then we start breaking those down. Um, we work with, I, I try to get a really solid team of driven people behind me. Um, and I try to make sure that I, I put those people in the best areas where they're most qualified. Oftentimes, especially in the nonprofit world, you're working with um, really capable, really passionate people. Oftentimes they're volunteers. Um, and not all, the volunteers don't always know exactly what it is they want to do or can do. They just know that they want to, they want to be involved, which is so awesome and exciting. And so, it, you know, I, I try to use my tuition the best I can to my intuition the best I can to really identify where their skills lie and then put them on, you know, whatever category or task that I have, um, uh, you know, in a, in a certain area. Yeah. So I know, you know, we have we have certain listeners who have got back to us and said they really enjoy the episodes where they get to hear, you know, how much this person they started off with maybe more of an average background. Right. They didn't they didn't just get their MBA from Harvard and have an extra million dollars in their pocket and, right? and then became successful. <laughs> right? right. So for you, let's talk about something like, for instance, you were really into theater in high school. You ended up doing your degree in theater. Um how does that how does that background translate when you're like for instance the beyond right and wrong project where you're becoming a partner manager and you're trying to coordinate these large organizations to bring all of their followers and their attention to the program yeah yeah for sure so i like you said i loved theater growing up and um, that was a place where i really I don't know, excelled in school, uh, whether to community theater or whatever. And I, I continued into uh, college. I got my degree in directing and uh, theater education. And the reason I think that I loved that so much is because, again, it was this idea of having this, this grandiose production and directing was me being able to pull the different pieces you know, and, and break it down into and put them back together and then put them on stage for something that's really exciting for people to watch. Um, and, and for me, you know, I right after school, right after I graduated from college, I started teaching. I taught at Western High School for two years and I loved directing. Um, but then I was I was actually offered the opportunity to work with um, Lindsay Hadley again on the Candlelight Serenade uh, for Child Rescue. And that was the first opportunity that I had to really combine my passion for nonprofits and, um, and and directing at the same time. I should also mention, you know, I, I, I said working with a team and working with volunteers, I spent so many years volunteering. Um, I, I always found causes. I always found issues or nonprofits or whatever that I was passionate about. And I always just said, Hey, I want to help. How can I help? Um, so, well, and actually before we move on, I mean, it's yeah. fun. Cause on the show, usually we're asking guests 
you know, their opinions about child rescue and where you've been such a big part of the story for all these last six, seven years. It's, it's kind of fun to be able to have you on the show. Um, but, but previous to getting involved with child rescue, why don't you talk about, um, for instance, going to Kenya and the difference of actually being on the ground and, you know, if you feel like that was a turning point in your life or what effect oh, yeah. that's had on your life of actually, instead of just hearing about it, actually going volunteering in person. Right. Okay. So yeah, going to Kenya was really a defining moment in my life, in my career, um, in every aspect. I, I went when I was 15 and I went with a group called Youth Link. It was a local organization in Utah. And I basically was put in charge of um, organizing my peers and being able to teach deaf theater to uh, an orphanage when we were in Kenya. And that experience really, I mean, again, it, it was such an incredible opportunity for me to feel like I'm actually bringing joy to people's lives. You know, I'm, I'm actually maybe making a difference. And by sharing the, the passion that I have for theater as well as for, you know, philanthropy or for, um, you know, working with, working with these orphans. I, from, you know, from there, I got really involved with Rotary as well. Um, and I started working with the Rotary Act and I helped um, organize when I was in college. I helped organize the Rotary International Conference or the, um, the Rotary Act Conference that was held at the same time as the Rotary International Conference here in Salt Lake. And so, like for me, I know, um, for instance, I, I got to go stay at an aftercare facility for trafficking victims in Nicaragua and I'd already been working on child rescue for five, six years by that point. And I couldn't believe how much of an effect it had on me thinking, Oh, I know about this issue. I work on this issue. I know people in this cause, but there was something about being there and like spending time with these kids that are the same age as my children that really had a lasting effect on me. Are there any like Kenya stories that you feel like kind of got seared into you? Oh yeah, for sure. So there were a couple of students that I feel like I bonded with really really well. Um, one kid, his name was Willis. So Willis was deaf. Uh, we had some fun experiences of like putting on headphones, his big headphones on his ears and he could feel the beat. Right. And so to see his eyes light up as he like actually heard something, felt something. And that music was really cool. But I, I remember the very last day, um, we were getting in our van, we had said goodbye, you know, it was really hard to leave after being there, you know, for a week or so. And then, and Willis just jumped in the back of the van with me and he said, he signed to me and basically said, you know, I'll miss you. This will be the last time I'll see you now, but I'll see you again after this life basically is what he told me. Um, and that was such a, such a moving experience for me to see how much, um, I don't know. He, he, he also said, you know, I'm trying to think now exactly how he signed it, but he said, our hearts are, um, our skin is different, but our hearts are the same. And, um, you know, that really, I don't know. I loved that because it was such a compassionate way to see, you know, I'm hearing and I'm white and I'm a female and he was African and deaf and a male, but he, he didn't care. He didn't see, you know, any of those differences. He just, you know, he saw friendship and that, you know, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, I bet. Um, so thinking about, thinking about, you know, these causes and there's a lot of people that care and there's a lot of people with a big heart, but 
if you don't actually get the task done, nobody gets helped. The message doesn't get out, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about Candlelight Serenade, you know, concert, Neon Trees, Dashboard Confessional, 311, all the, you know, 20 different bands, right? Um, and we're not going to have, you know, these kids, these thousands of kids who are coming out to the concert, they're not going to be able to hear the LAPD human trafficking cop or the mayor or attorney general talk in between the bands if the, sh- if the show doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, if someone listening is thinking, man, I would love to run a big concert with MTV type bands and, and bring attention to our brand or our organization, you know, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, um, what, what are some of the rookie mistakes you see when people, when they go to do their first big event like this? Uh, you know, you asked that question, Jess, and I think like, oh gosh, I made so many rookie mistakes at first, just trying to figure out exactly what to do. But I think when you really boil it down, it comes down to being able to break down those tasks, like I mentioned earlier, and to be able to create a deadline and stick to it. Um, I think also not having the right people on the right job can be really detrimental to your project. Because, you know, if I, if I put someone who is maybe more introverted and, um, and I put them on, you know, trying to sell sponsors, then it's not going to be as successful, right? And so I think that's another essential thing is making sure that you understand a team and being able to find, you know, don't put the wrong people on, on tasks that they're not going to be able to fulfill to their fullest. You know, it's so easy to say that. But how often do we think, oh, people should be able to do this? And, you know, if there's parts you don't understand, figure it out, right? Yeah. Versus spending that extra bit of time checking in with people and, and really trying to dive into what is this person exceptional at and having them double down on that. Right, right. Uh, it's like, oh, you're available? Okay, uh, go do this. You know, I'm thinking about like you were talking about headaches of you have to get the bands back and forth and we and we had both we had two different stages obviously at that concert and having the bands not play over each other and mm-hmm. you know my guess is um you know something you talk about someone introverted when it when it comes to deadlines i mean <laughs> that event was a bit of chaos i mean i was happy you and Lindsay threw it all <laughs> with your <laughs> 200 volunteers and nick and i and our wives and everybody just got to be participants but i mean there is it's kind of pandemonium some of the time and everybody, everybody wants to go get their picture with Chris Caraba from dashboard or right. Right. And, and Nick Hexum from three eleven. Yeah. And so <laughs> the deadlines, like, um, how do you approach being firm without offending people? Well, that's hard because, you know, offense is something that people are going to choose to take or not, right? So I try I try my best to develop really quality relationships with my team beforehand. Um, and then from there, you know, I just try to communicate really clearly, hey, this needs to happen and this needs to happen by this time. And if it's not done, I either have to do it myself or I have to find somebody else. And me doing it myself is not going to be best for the team because I'm already spread out so thin or to finding somebody else and having to, you know, get them up to speed with everybody is also not going to be the most successful. So I, you know, I really try to, you know, impress upon whomever I'm working with how essential it is to get it, to get it done and then continue encouraging them, continuing giving them the tools that they need to be able to finish those tasks. It's, it's funny because this sounds so simple, 
right? Right. <laughs> uh, but having been there and there's, you know, literally thousands of kids going from this stage to that stage. And, and I mean, there was, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating. It felt like there was hundreds of people backstage mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the catering and the bands and the production studio people, like all those golf carts going back and forth. Right. And I'm guessing like that is not the time to be explaining this to people that everybody's had the calendar in advance. This pep talk has happened multiple times before the day of. Right. And it's a preparation game. So for me, you talk about the calendar, right? I I can't even express how important that piece of paper was. But, you know, so just for your listeners to explain it a little bit, basically, it's a schedule of the day and the schedule breaks down. You know, this band's playing at this time. This band is traveling to stage one at this time. You know, during that breakdown, then stage two is playing, you know, et cetera. So basically it's an entire calendar, but it has taken weeks or months to be able to create that calendar um, or that schedule, I should say, um, that it's so precise and so clear that anybody who, whether they're driving a golf cart, whether they're the band themselves, whether it's, you know, someone on the tech crew who's actually calling the show or the lighting guy, everybody can look at that and say, okay, I know where I need to be at this time. Um, but it, it takes, you know, it takes months of preparation um, and revisions of that schedule to actually um, get it to where it is and to have it be as clear as it needs to be on the day of. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I think for me, just you know, whether it's you and Lindsay throwing an event for us at Child Rescue or the other things I've watched the two of you put on, I think another mistake that I see others do that I feel like you guys set a good example for is um, there's like a realism about how long this is going to take. When you guys take on projects, um, I just think there's so many other people that they have an idea for a program and they think, oh, let's throw that together in the next few weeks instead of the next few months. And I don't know if it's just because of experience or what, but I feel like you guys have, um, you've spent so much time going through things like contingencies. Like I'm thinking about, we keep talking about golf carts, but there was that golf cart accident. And I think we had a golf cart breakdown. <laughs> and if, right. if backstage is a long way from, from the actual stage itself, you know, at an outdoor festival like that, that's actually mm-hmm. legitimately a problem for staying right. on calendar. And and have the contingencies like, does the plan work where everyone does this, this, and this? Or is it everyone does this, this, and this, but if this emergency happens, we do this. And here's our backup for that. And here's our backup right. for that. Right. And like, just knowing, I guess that's what I'd say. Rookies don't know something's going to go wrong. Where when I think about following you guys around backstage, whether it was when I went to Australia and followed Lindsay around or at Candlelight or other places, mm-hmm. you guys, it's like you're planning on something is going to go wrong. And that's okay because you've built backups and you know what you're going to, like, everybody's ready for it. Right, right. Well, I should, I should mention, actually, for Candlelight Serenade, I remember specifically, so we stayed, we had an incredibly tight schedule. I mean, to the minute, literally, like, my schedule looked like, hey, at 10.42, this person starts. And at 10.43, you know, like, it was so, so specific. And I remember... Um, Nick Hexum was playing from 311 and stage two started, I, it was Osmond. I don't remember his first name. And he started playing like two minutes. No, he started staying on time. He started playing on time, but Nick Hexum had gone past his time. And so both started playing at the same time. And I was like, Oh no, we're ruined. <laughs> Luckily he finished. 
you finished quickly, but, um, but yeah, it's literally, it's literally to the minute to the second and you, you pray that whoever's golf cart is broken down, that there is a backup (laughs) ready to go. Right. Well, and that's what I feel like, again, professionals versus the rookies. I feel like the rookies build one calendar and no contingencies. And I feel like you guys, you've gone through it so many times that everybody knows what's supposed to happen. So they're able to adapt when, Mm -hmm. when there is a malfunction. Um, You know, you talked about sponsors earlier and, and so often people want to do a big event and they want somebody else to pay for it. um, And they show up with their hands out of, wouldn't you like to do this for us for our event? Mm -hmm. Um, But let's talk about beyond right and wrong where you're, where you're a partner manager. Um, A, tell, tell us, you know, who Leica is and, and what, what the film was and then B talk about like very much the I know the approach that you had with the what's in it for what's in it for them instead of what's in it for you type mm-hmm. of approach that you took there okay yeah beyond right and wrong it was a documentary that was um produced by Lika Singh um she was our client at the time but it's it was a documentary about reconciliation and peace and basically it highlighted some of the world's um, greatest conflicts. The Renoir, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the Rwanda genocide, the um, Israel-Palestine conflict, the troubles in Northern Ireland. So basically it took, um, it took these world crises and um, focused on individuals whose lives have been affected by that. So for example, in the film, it highlighted a woman whose children had all been murdered by the same um, guy in the Rwanda genocide, and it, it followed her journey to reconciliation and peace um, by basically the this guy who had, had murdered her family um, had been approaching her, begging for forgiveness, begging for forgiveness um, for what he had done, and to even put even imagine putting yourself in that situation. You know, I I, I can't I can't comprehend. How difficult that would be but basically that's what the documentary explored all these really raw human emotions of of finding reconciliation finding peace we're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time we've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes so we're going to break the interviews in half please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview and as always come to icollective.co for show notes and To learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.